If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. Entrepreneurship is hard. It requires guts, sacrifice, and the willingness to endure, which is one of the many reasons why today's guest, Brandon Shelton, is bullish about investing in veteran-led startups. Brandon is an Army veteran, as well as the founder and managing partner of Task Force Capital, an early-stage venture capital firm investing in service-driven, high-performing, and commercially-tested military and national security startups led by veterans who have a passion for solving real-world issues by using technology to build ideas that are a net new to our society. Brandon is a bit contrarian when it comes to venture investing. He has strong views about what's wrong with the industry, which we'll get into on the show, and believes too much emphasis is placed on funds and their leadership and not on the founders. Within five minutes of talking to Brandon, it's clear he's passionate about veteran entrepreneurship as a whole, including small businesses and venture-backable startups. If you're thinking about raising capital or are already in the process of doing so, make sure you get out some pen and paper and take some notes from today's show. Before you hear from Brandon and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I'd also like to encourage you to check out my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes as well. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship, financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Brandon, welcome to The Transition. I appreciate you making time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Brandon is the founding, founder and managing partner of TFX Capital, an early stage venture fund uh, targeting military veterans, if I'm not mistaken. But Brandon, um, I would love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself to the transition audience that may or may not be familiar with you. Yeah, it, thanks, Mike. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I, I always try to take the opportunity to uh, talk to our tribe, uh, the military connected ecosystem, about what we do and what we try to do um, as a way to lift up and promote really our founders. Uh, so we have we're venture capital funds. So I think we participate in innovation from the cheap seats. So despite what you see on TV or read on Twitter, uh, venture capitalists just write the check. Um, they try to help where they can. Uh, the founders are the ones who do the hard things. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, you, you nailed it. Uh, we, I started the firm back in summer of 2015. Um, and I was in a moment in time in my career just prior to turning 40 where, you know, as an ex-military person, I come from a multi-generational military family. Um, a little bit of time on Wall Street, a little bit of time in consulting, a little bit of time on enterprise. You know, I stumbled into an, uh, what I found, I, I found, felt at the time and definitely believe now is an unmet need uh, in the capital ecosystem. And that is, how can we match a uh, purpose-driven, resilient former military uh, founders with capital that knows how to assign a risk premium or discount to that background 
along with the rest of that professional background of that founder and their co-founders, generally working on really hard problems. And so uh, I started meeting some founders here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we're headquartered. Then I started meeting others where they were former military and in their pitch decks, which if you're in venture capital or startups, you laugh when I say the term pitch deck, investor deck, they all look the same. Um, and, you know, uh, slideware or whatever the other jokes are, you know, can, can I PowerPoint you to death? So for all the former officers out there, you're, you have a job in venture uh, if you can make a good PowerPoint uh, or startups. But, you know, what I was noticing was some of these founders were not putting their military background um, in their pitch deck. And so what I mean by that is I'm not talking about your tactical photo from your time down range. I'm not talking about, you know, hey, I'm, I did uh, these 17 things in the military with acronyms that the general population doesn't uh, understand or can't discern. I'm just saying simply Army veteran. And the point of putting that, that on your pitch deck, in my mind at the time, and definitely eight years onwards, is that you were guaranteed junior enlisted, junior officer, and I think something like 95% of all the roles in the, in the U.S. military for the last 50 years, you're guaranteed at age 18, 20, 22, 25, now that really, really impressionable period of time, you're, you're guaranteed to be put under a lot of duress, stress uh, on purpose and repeatedly. And so, you know, before your brain is formally formed, that, that, that leaves an indelible mark on someone. You know, some would say it matures you faster. I would agree with that. Some would say um, it teaches you personal and professional accountability at a scale that would take almost a lifetime. And I think this leads to you know, members of my family and you know, again, multi-generational military family. But when you're out in your community and you see someone, you know, the old crusty Vietnam veteran with the sticker on the car, even if they were conscripted, right? Very proud that they served and persevered as a young person. You know, these type of things, I think, are connected behaviorally. And so for me, that's why I think you should put it on there is that ultimately you're a PowerPoint with no revenue and an idea. And that's where we operate as a venture capital fund. We're, we're early stage. And so um, that should factor into the investment thesis. And when I started asking these founders, like, what, why wouldn't you put that in there? And, you know, they started things playing back to me, like, look, the way early stage venture investment, angel investment works is the vast majority of the players I'm talking to don't know anyone who served and didn't serve themselves. So that, quote, civil military divide is arguably wider. Military uh, recruits from middle and lower income families, capital markets roles are generally from middle and upper income backgrounds. They may be all good citizens in between, but the knowledge set and um, the empathy factors are going to be uh, different just because of different learned experiences. And so they say, hey, it's just I can't I can't it, there's no room for it in my presentation. Like in, when I say room, like I can't bring it up. Um, uh, and then some veterans also didn't want to put it in there because they don't want a perceived handout. Um, and so. Put all that together, you know, I said, wait a second, I think some of the best leaders I've ever worked with professionally, uh, you know, commercially and in the military, you know, obviously had this former military background, some of the worst leaders, by the way. And so it's not that all veterans are going to be good business leaders, not all veterans are going to be successful founders. Um, but from a talent pool standpoint, you know, if I was a venture capitalist, and this is circa 2015, I would try to develop mechanisms to tap into this type of talent. Again, if you believe there's the trick to founders, the trick to entrepreneurship, the trick to early stage investing, if you ask the Mark Andreessen's and Peter Thiel's, these are titans in the tech um, VC world. They both have technical backgrounds before they got into venture. If you were to talk to, War, you know, read some of the Warren Buffett um, um, missives and letters, when he backs people, it's people. 
It's always people, right? That is the only place they found any repeatability in investing is when the people are the right people at the right place at the right time to do the thing. So for me, um, that was my call to action to start it. Again, having a sprinkling of a background and then have my own personal transition challenges and struggles, frankly, uh, from 2004 when I left active duty until summer of 2015 when I started TFX. It, the problem set, Mike, felt very familiar to me. I didn't have a background in venture. I'm not a high net worth guy. I'm not an angel investor. But I understand the, the inability to read someone's background. Um, and I understand when people kind of, hey, thank you for your service. They don't mean to be rude, but I think scientifically they ascribe a zero, right? And so tell me what you've done since. And so I'm looking to pedigree gates. You know, I worked at Goldman Sachs. I went to Harvard Business School, right? I worked at McKinsey. You know, these are sort of the things that are joked about in society today. Nothing wrong with those organizations or people that, you know, uh, went through those gates, but it's not necessarily one-to-one -one correlated to a commercial outcome, but it de-risks a hiring decision, right? And then in the investment world, it de-risks an investment decision, right? They worked here, they worked there, that type of stuff. So that was the mindset we had then. I would say it's more advanced now. We've made a lot of mistakes. I've personally made a lot of mistakes over the last eight years. It has been one of the more uh, rewarding, aggravating, frustrating, exciting, all things uh, put in between uh, that I've done. And that's because it's a founder. I'm a founder as well. Um, it's not just I'm in venture capital, but I'm also a founder. So I bear the same flaws and bruises and issues that I think any other founder who's been grinding away for one, five, 10 years has. So it's a long answer to, to your short question, but I hope for the audience listening, I'm trying to you know, give you a flavor of how we think, how I think, Maybe it resonates with, with folks that are listening. No, I think it's a great answer. And a couple of things stand out in my mind. First of all, I find myself having to pump up veterans to even today about that. Like, listen, like, because, you know, they transition out, they're going to these different spaces and they feel less than in some capacity. Uh, and I'm like, listen, dude, like, I'm not going to name any names, but like you graduated number five from the Naval Academy. Right. You were an intelligence officer like you're going to be fine. Right. And, but it's like one thing if they don't believe it, like and I'm constantly having to punch them in the chest. Right. Like you are talent. No matter what anybody says. Right. You bring talent. Same thing for that. You know, a squad leader in the Marines. Right. Might not have a big technical background, but guarantee he's been in a leadership position. He's been in a hot seat. I meet so many civilian entrepreneurs that tell me nobody knows how to lead, right? They're like, look, we, did, we, didn't, we weren't taught this stuff. They don't have anything to fall back on. Unlike us, at the very least, we get to fall back to our training, right? The only leadership training that they've had, if they've had any, has been managerial. And you and I both know management and leadership are not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I agree. I, I probably maybe disagree or push back a little bit um, or, or maybe say it a different way. I, I see almost like a, a, a barbell here. I see what you're saying, the people who need to be pumped up, kicked in the butt a little bit. Hey, you've got all the tools, everything that everything you need is within you, right? To do the thing. Um, I also see that arrogant, overconfident, Correct. generally former officer, generally former SOCOM type person, you know, who were like, hey, I'm going to go make X. I, uh, I, I'm going to go lead Z. And I think 
I haven't looked at the recent statistics, but I think those are the people who uh, lead to a lot of uh, turnover. Yeah. Which disincentivizes corporate employers from setting up hiring programs because you churn, right? And so uh, I also say, I mean, I was just talking to a former SF guy this morning, coaching him a little bit on this. He's a, he's at a top tier business school and he's trying to say, do I work corporate or do I go do the search fund route, right? And, you know, my shtick with those guys is, look, I think at the end of the day, you need to recognize some differences in your systems. Um, and someone else told me this. This is not my, this is not original thought. So I'll just point out a couple, Mike, if it's helpful to you, because we talked to our investors about this. We have a lot of investors who didn't serve in the military who uh, are invested in us because they like the differenti differentiation versus the other funds that they see. And so, uh, again, we are trying, we are founder driven thesis here. We're trying to prove that this type of pressure tested former intelligence community, former military veteran leader, and it's not a combat thing or not. It's not a male, female, old, young officer enlisted. It, has to do with who that person is, how they were raised, good or bad, what they did in the military, good or bad, what they've done since. It's a whole picture of what we're trying to do. We think that that type of resilient leader and the founding team um, you know, will beat their peers, right? That's our thesis. So I was talking to this, this individual this morning and I said, look, let me tell you about the two different systems and why I try to dissuade guys and gals. Do not leave active duty and start a business unless that business is very similar to what you just did, right? So that's number one. Number two is I see a lot of veterans trying to do search funds, right? And so, um, and then number three, I see I see a lot of deal flow veterans where they worked X amount of time corporately, generally officers, um, and now they're starting a thing or they're straight out of a business school starting a company and they don't have domain expertise in the thing. I just all. recorded a podcast on my advice for a transition veteran that's interested in entrepreneurship. And I mean to cut you off. But everything you said is 100%. Number one, transitioning is hard enough, especially if you have a family, right, to roll into entrepreneurship and all the uncertainty with that. Because now you're dealing with the transition. You're dealing with the lack of knowledge and expertise about how to be an entrepreneur, right? Because business model, regardless, being an entrepreneur is a skill set within itself, right, which is very hard. And I think, you know what, I have a thesis. The reason people look at the search fund because they think it's easier, right? Like we love to put the entrepreneur on the cover of Forbes and da-da-da, but make no mistake, it is so hard to grow something from nothing. And I, I think people are looking for a soft landing. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to go to business school and I'm going to do a search fund, you know, because that's less risky than actually, you know, starting this thing over here. But once they get into it, they still get punched in the face because it's entrepreneurship. Yeah, Mike, I love the way you said that. I think to build, to build on what you said, I, I would say, I think high performing driven former military leaders go, go down these paths for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, if you don't mind, I'm going to opine on a couple beliefs I have. And I try to generally offer this. To, we, we talk to transitioning veterans probably every week. We have some some other VCs who who ask us why would you waste time talking to people like that? You should only be working on deal flow. And hey, man, you don't understand our tribe. You never know who that person's sister, brother, neighbor, teammate, classmate was. So let me let me just go down a couple paths here. I think first of all, um, I think most driven, which is most military people, um, you know, you do two years, four years, six years, ten years, twenty years, whatever. Officer enlisted. Uh, you went into the military to get your citizenship, to get the GI Bill. 
I was an ROTC graduate, so it helped me pay for college, you know, and so, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever is your, your reason that you went in, however you serve, let's say you gave more than you took, which I think is most veterans, but there are the outlier ding-dongs and others. Um, and then why did you leave? And then what have you done? So, okay. So I think most of them get intellectually stimulated by the complexity of trying to go search, do a search fund or to go start a business. And I, I'm guilty of that. I mean, I didn't have a background on venture and I started it. All right. So I'm doing the, I, I did the exact same thing I advise against. And I would tell you first 12 months, I'll never forget my wife who was with me. She was a fellow officer as well. She was like, I've not seen you this like excited, motivated and purpose driven since you were a lieutenant in Italy. And I was like, whoa, that kind of caught me off guard. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Right. It's like, it's that I don't, I wish somebody would coin a term, whatever that first 12 months is Honeymoon where it's not really hard. You're, you build the swag. You've got the shirt you put on LinkedIn. Everybody's like, you're the man, you're the woman. And just amazing. I'm so proud of you. You're on a panel. You're this, you're that. You get to that year mark and now you're starting to eat through savings. And now you can't generate revenue. And this is starting to grind. You grind. And so just at TFX, we generally don't try to invest in that first year. We try to get you right at that 12 to 20 mark. I think it's something like 70% of tech startups fail, you know, between that 12 to 20 month range. I think, I think this has part of it. Okay. So I think there's a... Uh, that piece. I think the second thing is, again, when I was talking to that gentleman this morning about this, his 100, 100 miles an hour, like operational capacity, he perceives as 100 miles is far superior than the average peer commercial person. It's 100 mile an hour perception. So your teammate may go, man, we are full tilt today. And you're like, are you kidding? Like, I have so much more bandwidth because as a young person, I was stretched. I figured out a way to critically think, problem solve, people manage, crisis communicate much faster than where you are, but the muscles are different. The systems are different. And so this is where like me, my first corporate job out, um, you know, I, my first performance management review is, Brandon, you're too intense. And by the way, as an officer in the army, we call them OERs and NCOERs. And, you know, I saw my first performance management, you sit down with your commander, they generally most good commanders and NCOs take this process very seriously. I think in the Navy, you guys called them fit reps or something like that. And so it's a process that we live by corporate America. Nope. It was emailed to me in a performance management system in 2005 with like two bullets. Like that was it. There was no need to knee, no counseling. The person I reported to was younger than me. Right. And it was a female. It's the first time I'd actually... Uh, reported to a female again. This is almost twenty years ago, so there were a lot of new news that I had, you know, new or, or new knowns, if you will, that I had to figure out. And so I'm just saying those systems of like how does that performance management get done? What your op tempo is very different. Third thing I point out to folks is I was then working in a system, and this is the same with a search fund. It's the same with a startup or you go work in corporate America. You're going to come out of a system that everyone knows how much everyone makes every single day. And I don't know what you might, I, that, that never registered to me when I was on active duty. I never really, I laugh because like, oh, we make so little, <laughs> you know, compared to my friends who were working on Wall Street or whatever, right? I'd always struggle with that. I was like, oh, look at their pay raise this year. It's 1.3%, you know, like it's less than the rate of inflation, right? Those are the type of things I thought about as a JMO, right? And then I knew, I knew how much my enlisted guys made and it was terrible how little they made for how hard they work, right? No cash bonuses. Unless you um, fail a drug test or be the spouse or do something illegal, you're going to be promoted as a junior officer, junior enlisted on a certain timeline. So there's nothing you could do at work that would get you accelerated. 
Take that into corporate America. No one knows how much anyone makes. So you have no idea if your work level is properly compensated. You have no idea, right? Second thing is you can't get promoted quick. You can get promoted quickly. If you shine, self-promote, whatever, there are cash bonuses, right? I mean, the system, just those couple things, the review system and the compensation system, I think you need to bear witness to for a minimum of 36 months. Why 36 months? But I guarantee you within 36 months, post-active duty, post-grad school, whatever it is, post-college, whatever is your first commercial gig, you're going you're, you're gonna, to um, see two performance management cycles. And that's like on like, where you enlisted or officer, you'll know. Boom. Okay. I can see the differences here. By the way, I don't think a system is better. I, I don't think, Mike, for your listeners, I don't think the military system is far superior to commercial. I don't think the commercial system is far. I just argue that they're different. And you as an individual, because if you met a veteran, you've met a veteran. We're all different. You have to navigate that for yourself. Maybe you're 28 years old, 22 years old, 40 years old, whatever, 46. I mean, my year group's coming up on 25 years and I've got some friends retiring and stuff. Petrified, some of them. <laughs> Petrified of going into the commercial sector. I had the same conversation no matter your age. It's just different. Give yourself some grace. Operate in the system. Bear witness to it. You've proven to yourself, like you mentioned, that you're a quick learner. And I promise you, your worst day professionally in this company will not even rival, rival your worst day in the military. I promise you. I guarantee you, I'll bet a steak dinner. Right. Better yet, I'll bet lots of beers. So I'm just saying the systems are different. So the compensation schemes, the last thing I normally tell guys is, and this normally gets us some eyebrows. I tell somebody, I say, okay, let me give you, let me paint a picture on accountability, which I struggle with, driving accountability commercially. I still suffer. I still am not very good at this. I'm highly accountable for myself. And I, I've just not figured out, you know, I'm still always learning and adapting. Okay, so accountability is normally very easy to understand. Project, you have a meeting. So I tell someone transitioning or whatever. Um, and I was like, okay, you have a meeting. Imagine yourself, you're in a team and your boss. So I take rank out. Your boss says, um, hey, this uh, blah, 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 blah. We've got to meet next Friday. So it's fr let's say it's Friday now, a week from today, we're going to meet. And I need, it's an important meeting. It's for the special projects. Uh, I need all six of you there. I need you to make it happen. I need you to come prepared talking about two things, right? And you look at your schedule like, I can't get, I, I, I can't, to do that, to arrive at that moment with that information, I'm going to have to work all weekend. So you tell your spouse, <laughs> hey, I'm going to work all weekend, knock this out. Spouse generally doesn't complain because they're conditioned to it. If you're in the military, commercially, this would look weird. All right. And then you're going to work all day and everything else. And then you're going to move some things around. You're going to miss a kid's soccer game on Wednesday night to get ready. You're ready on Friday. You show up at the meeting. It's a Zoom, right? Okay, no problem. Everybody's on the Zoom. Boss is five minutes late. Expect it. Okay, you get on there and you're like, okay, I'm ready. I've got my notes. I've rehearsed because I take personal accountability. And then you're going to go, okay, let's go around the horn. Sarah, who's a peer, we have the same title. And don't, I don't care. It's Sarah, Bob. It's not a gender thing. Whatever, that teammate, we technically have the same title, but I have no idea how much they make. I've worked with him or her on some projects. They're a eh, nice person, but I don't know. I would take them into battle with me, you know, that type of mindset veterans talk about. And okay, Sarah, uh, what do you got? A boss, Jim, Bob, Sally, whatever. I got really jammed up this week. I really couldn't get to this. So um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything for you today. Now in your back of your mind, you're going, fried, fire her, she's terrible. <laughs> what happens next? Nine times out of 10, the boss will say in a company, in a commercial sector, they may say, hey, that's unacceptable. Who knows, right? But they yeah. generally will let them get away with it. They'll say, okay, Sarah, can you, can, do you think you could get that back by Monday? Yeah, I can get to you by Monday. 
Or maybe the meeting just adjourns. Maybe the boss cancels the meeting one minute before. Just saying this personal level of accountability and the op tempo, I normally tell guys and gals, do not try to find your purpose in your commercial sector job. Take that. I think you're going to work at 70 miles an hour because you're going to learn the industry. It's an apprenticeship. You're going to study. You're going to do, you're going to work your tail off. Most veterans, not all, are like this. Self-initiated. I take self-accountability. I, I read my job description. I'm trying to show up right in service of others. That 30% delta between 70 miles an hour and 100 miles an hour, go volunteer somewhere. Go start gardening. Go learn jujitsu. Go run an ultra marathon. I don't care what it is. But you now need to separate these things. And that's where I think that last comment, Mike, is where a lot of veterans swing out of a Bank of America, a General Motors. They get on this team. They're an individual contributor. They're going 60 miles an hour. They're exposed to office politics, which also exists in the military, guys. We all tend to remember all the good stuff from the military and forget all the bad stuff. It's still humans. It's just two different systems. And they're like, oh, search fund. Oh, oh I'm going to go entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, or I'm going to go start a business. I'm going to go throw a website on. And then all these people are going to go, you're the man. You're the woman. That's great. And it's going to make me feel better about myself. And I told the man, screw off. It wasn't for me. Corporate America, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Then let's say, oh, my God, you take some money. You take an investor, an investment, a sibling, a professor, and you're year in and you're like, holy shit, I'm starting a company now. Now this sucks. And by the way, I don't really. I'm not really purpose-driven by it, right? So I've said a lot there, but these are some of the messages we try to signal to transitioning veterans. By the way, I always tell them, it's one person's opinion. I'm giving you information. You're uniquely skilled to take information and convert it to actionable intelligence. And that normally clicks like, okay, I understand. So do your own homework, make the best forward decision and, and get off the X, go forward, right? And so we talk to our founders a lot about this as well. And we, we have shifted a little bit where we're trying to make sure, like, can we verify that they've turned the page from the military? And they generally have, right? Okay, and, and then if we talk to me, like, okay, what are you using from the military time now? I mean, if, you have, if you're a founder in your 50s, and we have some like this, and they served 30 years ago, uh, every time they will say, oh, well, this, my four-person startup, my eight-person startup reminds me of when I was a squad leader or reminds me when I was a platoon leader, right? Like, I can I can use those things I learned a long time ago, and it's very effective in small team units, uh, small small unit leadership and tactics and stuff like that. So that that, that there's some system comparison there for you or for your listeners, if that's helpful. Um, you got to do more podcasts. I mean, you got me cracking up, but you got me cracking up over here um, because you're right. You're like fried, you know, not showing up to a meeting, not prepared, but you don't have to learn. You got to train people. You know, that's the difference, right? In the military, they got corporal's course, sergeant's course, all the different courses. So your little infantry Marine, he shows up with his right in the rain. You know, he's taking his little notes. But like for us as founders, you've got to set the agenda. You got to set the information that you want to get. You've got to build the culture, right? That which is a hard part within itself. The other thing that you reference is that grind. See, I know what it is. I launched my nonprofit, Ironbound Boxing in 2017 but i actually started it in like 2015 you know setting conditions and stuff so i already know what it is that day to day that month to month right so everybody's out there high-fiving slapping each other on the butt we launched a startup we launched our business i'm looking at i'm like all right talk to me in two years you know which brings me to you right and like we said before we went hit record i've done a lot of work educating 
founders on the difference between a startup, a venture backable startup, small business. And they're both hard. Choose your heart. But I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that trying to, you know, get 10x returns and get 100x returns is that's, it's hard. It's extra hard. There's extra pressure. And you have investors breathing down your neck. And now you're not just responsible for your own money, you're responsible for their money, you're responsible for these teams that you have to bring on these startups and their salaries and stuff, et cetera. So how are you coaching and advising these founders that are in that grind, you know, that might not hit that hockey stick growth yet and they got to keep showing up and leading? Yeah, Mike, you said a lot in there. I, I have lots of thoughts on this topic. Um, um, let, let's circle, let's put the pen on like mental wellness because it's something I'm very, very passionate about. And we are at TFX. Let's come back to that. I think that what I normally tell founders, uh, and again, our universe are generally former military, but this has nothing to do with being in the military. This has to do with founding a company. I normally tell them, like, like I run a service business. TFX is a service business. Okay. If I need more money, I've got to go raise more capital. Extremely hard um, to do that. Okay, what are my other options? Go take a loan out. Well, I generate no revenue. So what's a bank going to do? I got to sign a personal guarantee. You sign a personal guarantee, you expose your spouse and your children and all your assets to when thing goes, goes pear-shaped. I got to go take a second mortgage out on your home, which I've done. I've remortgaged my home for TFX, 100%, right? Uh, you've got to, I'm just saying that commitment level for the founders. I just think that if you're a venture capitalist, you need to build tools to be very empathetic. If you're a young person in venture capital working in an established firm, you need to do everything in your power to, to develop empathy muscle, muscles. In my opinion, you shouldn't work in venture capital until you've, go, you've led teams commercially. Person, full stop. You need to develop an operator's mindset, not like cool guy, seal, Velcro, you know, beard. I'm not talking military operator. I'm talking like an operational leader, COO, general manager. You have a P&L accountability. You've hired fire people. You've got to develop that empathy because you're bearing witness to the grind, like you mentioned. So to your question around grind, like our coaching, I normally tell folks is, it, let's say let's say they are left of bang. They're thinking about starting a business, right? This I think the, no different than I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what a veteran is because of 42,000 veteran nonprofits, frankly, carpet bombing our American society that veterans are homeless and disabled and PTSD and beat their spouse and all the other stuff. Story that we can do another podcast if you ever want on that. My personal beliefs there. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions of what, what's a startup. And it's glor like hustle porn, which was talked about just prior to the pandemic. I've not seen that term come back yet. But there's like glorified, like you would see on Twitter, which is hilarious. I follow VC Twitter. So if you think mill Twitter, military Twitter is funny, follow VC Twitter. It's rather comical. You know, hey, I'm working. Who, who's working on a Saturday? I have an hour. Ask me anything. Venture capital is doing this. Well, you shouldn't be on Twitter. Right? It's a Saturday. It's your time off. Pace yourself. Because I think founding a business, and this is what my coach tells me. I have a coach myself, um, is around mental energy management. Mental energy management. This is why some of our founders, I've said, hey, this startup will be your worse than your hardest deployment in combat. And they laugh sometimes, right? And then you talk to them years later, and it's not harder per se. Um, and I want to be careful with this audience and your audience on this. I'm not saying that. But what they have fed back to me is the duration, two years, five years, eight years. That founder mentality, 24-7, even when the thing works, you're 
always thinking on it. You're always ticking up. Let's, let's say you're making money. Let's say you're growing the proverbial whatever, whatever you or your investors want to be growing and you're hiring people and it's, it's just new problems, boom, new problems, boom, new problems, boom, which is kind of comical because when you get to an exit it, 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 and you're like, Phew, I made it. it I, th- I don't know what the math is, but there's a high pro- there's a high per- higher percentage than you would think that actually who are like, man, I want this to be over. I made my money. Who go back and do it again. It's like a moth to the flame. Because they want, they, they, wow, I, I made it. I can survive it, right? I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again, right? And so their funds, like Bull City Venture Partners, a big shout out here in Raleigh-Durham in the, in the Carolinas run by former Naval Aviator. Um, that's one of their bits. 70-something percent of all their founders are repeat founders. So they've proven that they can go through it, right? So their resiliency muscle, they're investing in the same thing, resiliency, but born through lived experience of a, found, of a startup. We're investing in resiliency through a lived experience coming from, you know, courtesy of the U.S. military or U.S. government, the intelligence communities. So I would say it's a mental energy pacing game. But let's say you go left a bank. I'm thinking about starting a business. Okay, please don't watch the show Shark Tank. But first of all, it's false. I don't know if people know that. You sign an agreement. I know friends who pitched on there. You sign an agreement that whatever is agreed for the show is not actually binding. Then they do diligence and they can walk away and stuff like that. That's not how, and a lot of those are consumer products. They're not services businesses. They're not like um, B2B SaaS businesses, B2, you know, none of that. So that's number one. Number two, don't Google, teach yourself. It's like, it's like doctors tell you, please do not you know, try to identify your symptoms of your sniffly nose on Google, right? Like again, as former military people, we should understand open source intelligence. Where do we get our information? There's only so much, there's no SOP for starting a business. So I always tell guys that way you want to do it is the right way, but there are some best practices. So services business, I'm going to um, be a consultant. No problem with that. You do not want venture money. First of all, it'd be hard to find anyway. Well, what? I don't know, but I've got this great idea. What your business model, business model is low margin. You're renting your time. So it's hard to find operational scale or leverage. Okay. I make a product. Okay. What type of products do you make? I make a consumer product. Great. Okay, I want venture money. The venture does exist. I think it's about 10% of all, something like that, a small percentage of all US venture dollars chase that. But that's a unique skill set. Like, I don't know how you make an energy bar. I don't know how you make a new shoe brand, you know, that type of stuff. And by the way, when you make a physical item and you make and you miss, let's say you make the wrong item, wrong size, wrong shape, you eat those costs. Let's talk software. Why is like 70 plus percent of US-based venture capital searching for B2B or you know, just software startups? Reason is, is higher margin. You can run many more experiments. So let's say you and I were engineers and we were the co-founders and we're writing code. We throw the thing out in the wild after two months of nugging. Nobody, it doesn't work. Delete, start over, right? You, again, you make the wrong craft beer. You make the wrong jackets. You, you know, you, you, those you run one experiment and you could be toast with the capital that you were able to bring in. Okay. So that's why I think a lot of venture searches for software is my personal opinion. Why B2B versus B2C? Well, B2B, the budgets are bigger from the buyers. If you think of the fortune thousand or depending on who you're selling to. Um, but two, you know, there's a lot more scale, especially with cloud native and cloud-based um, um, platforms. So the margins could be 85, 90%. Why does a venture capitalist want that? Because you can grow and double it. Double, double, double. And you don't need to hire. I don't need to add $1 of operating expense to grow $1 top line like you would as a consulting firm. So I can just add $1 of bodies, humans, an office, 
and I can grow revenue 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. So that's what everybody's looking for. So when you hear these, oh, I got to, can I get a 10 times exit, a thousand time exit? Sometimes there's some of that math in there. Book recommendation is power law. It's pretty interesting. But most venture capitalists in the United States, uh, you know, abide by the power law and recognize it. And they're trying to make a lot of investments or bets or gambling or whatever you want to call it. Um, we don't do that. We're a little bit more concentrated. Maybe that's the right way or maybe that's a wrong way. But I'm going to try to make 20 bets, 50 bets, 100 bets out of a fund. And I just need one to work sometimes. And it returns the whole fund. So for your listeners, and we're, we're talking in February of 2023, for your listeners, if you know the FTX crypto debacle, well, Sequoia, who invested, I think, like $200 million into that deal, that fund is still going to be fantastic, is what I understand. Even with a total loss of $200 million. Why? Because they've made so many investments, right? Um, that, 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 that why would the investors won't care, you could argue, right? Because they... They're still going to get their return. Now, I would argue the investor should care. You shouldn't be investing in companies like that. It was a bit of a Ponzi scheme um, and stuff like that. That's just maybe a story for another day. But I just think that for a little bit of VC 101, if you already know this, great. If you disagree with it, understand. But if you're thinking about starting a business, the way you want to do it is the right way. You were starting something that did not exist until you want to start it. That's a great thing. It's what our country's built on. And we should encourage that. But not everybody should be building a VC or venture backable business. Maybe a small business loan applies. Maybe you're a service disabled veteran. So thus you're going to go get an SBA 7A loan for you know, service disabled veteran businesses. You know, maybe a, a line of credit against the equity in your home. Dangerous, I know, but like maybe that's how you finance it. Most people who start businesses in the United States don't, don't have a ton of money. By the way, that in my opinion, that's why venture capital exists. I bet you. 99 founders out of 100, if we were to interview, would not take venture or angel or equity capital if they, if they could avoid it. I promise you, that's why the industry exists. Because generally the founders don't have the economic means to do the thing. So again, talk about empathy and sustaining empathy over the long arc of a partnership, staying relentless in your support model of these founders. Very, very important. So I think those are some models you have to consider when you start a business. But it's not, it's not like all venture capitalists are the smartest or the best or the coolest or you know, they wear the skinny jeans or they're on TV or the tech founders. or they're, you know. At the end of the day, people who should be celebrated are not the investors. People who should be celebrated and, and lifted up are the founders who are in the fight, taking the risk and creating something that didn't net new exist. So I, I, if you want to, I can cover mental wellness. But I think the mental wellness on this. Absolutely. I want to talk about mental so, health and wellness. Yeah. So listen, um, again, I just dated our podcast, but literally a couple of days ago, a 80 year old billionaire in New York killed himself. Very well-renowned TH Lee, very world-renowned private equity investor. Why would you do that? Right. Um, I'm just saying just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you don't have struggles. Everyone has struggles, right? And you could argue are the struggles increasing or decreasing because of the presence of social media. That's probably, that's outside my expertise lane. But just prior to the, pan, uh, the COVID pandemic, there were some articles on TechCrunch, some of our own periodicals and you know, software tech investing that were starting to pop up around mental wellness with, with founders. And again, because of who we are and where we come from, I think, the vet, I think the veteran community in the United States has the opportunity to be at the vanguard of solving many of our mental health challenges in the United States. 
right? So we're friendly with Stop Soldier Suicide, if you know those guys and others. And this is what we talked about. I think the pandemic took the lid off a lot of people's struggles of multi-ages, multi-generational issues, older, younger, work from home, not work from home, hourly, white collar worker, you know, whatever it is. Everybody's got struggles. If you're in a distributed work environment right now, you don't have that social human interaction, or maybe you like that, who knows? Everybody's different. I think that from a mental wellness standpoint, you know, obviously COVID happened and I didn't, it's only recently I've seen some more articles come out. For us, I think starting, and I'll take my personal opinion, and we have some materials on this. I think starting a business, especially really a tech business that requires outside investors, so thus that pressure and, and the, unique, the unique things that come with taking on venture investment, having a board, having to raise successive rounds of capital, pressure, 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 you know, complexity, complexity, information, asymmetry, blah, blah, blah. I think it's a net negative mental wellness journey for everyone. I don't care who you are, veteran or not. So we have a chart in some of my materials that shows a downward sloping line, Mike, that says your, your decision quality uh, at the start is always going to be high, right? Because you're the thing and it's electrifying, your endorphins are going, you're creatively thinking like you did when you were a kid, you're unleashing a lot of your, uh, there's no limit. There's a lot of blue sky thinking, BHAG stuff, whatever, right? I think over time, that's downward sloping for everyone, 99%, I don't know, throw out a high number. I think for veterans, we're arguing, can you sustain it flatter over a long arc? That's how we measure resilience. I don't know. We've invested in 17 companies to date. I think it's there. And two windows to look in on this, the COVID lockdown and the current market conditions, which are pretty terrible for funds to raise and for founders to raise. I'm not seeing any of our founders blink. It's still frustrating. It's still demoralizing. It still sucks. They're still getting kicked, you know, in the shin all day long, like I am, and stuff like that. But we're, we're not like, oh, you know, we're work, just working the problem, right? Because that's how we've been trained. We know professionally we've been through worse, right? And so, from a mental wellness standpoint, um, I don't care if you were a SEAL, a pilot. I don't care what you did. I don't care how many tours you did. I don't care about any of this stuff. I think you have to, you as a founder, veteran or not. I don't care who's, so for the whole founding team, by the way, your job is to run a people business. You need to show up every day in your best possible self. If you're not sleeping and tracking your sleep every night, wrong answer. Mil you're military, right? You're, you're an athlete. Well, what's the one thing, good, bad, or indifferent, most roles in the military did every day? We did PT. I'm not saying it was high quality PT, <laughs> but we still got our butts out of bed, shaved if you're a male. For men and women, you put a uniform on. Like you had this like certain routines that you set to get ahead of the day and take onus of your physical well-being, right? Being a founder doesn't mean screw it. I'll work out when I'm dead. Wrong answer. So we, we talk about this stuff often. We have our own performance coach, Dr. Ben Michael Ellis out of New York that we have brought in for the last couple of years. And he does free uh, roundtable fireside chat series. So we're actually on month 11 of a 12-part series where he's taking science-based, um, you know, evidence-based research, not like, hey, here's a life hack out of the top of my head. This is stuff that has been studied and studied recently on, um, uh, you know, managing your energy. What's one way to do that? What would that say, right? Like these type of things. I can't control my customers sometimes. I can't control my people and everything they do. I can control how I show up. And your greatest superpower is your body. What's the great, scientifically right now, the number one thing you can do is focus on your sleep. Pulling all-nighters, working every single weekend, wrong answer, right? Like, it's just not. 
because it's not like a three-month deployment or two-week exercise. This is an open-ended, multi-year grind that you will, I don't care who you are, and I'm that way. I'm eight years in. I am worn down, but I can still get up every day. Um, And and again, there's no conclusion to what we're doing, right? There's no end dates, right? And so I, but what can I control? I get up every day. I do physical fitness. I track it. You know, I do all these other things. We try to, we try to import that with our founders. Now, the last thing I'll leave you with on this topic is a lot of founders are busy. Founder time is, you know, a very high premium. So sometimes, you know, some of our founders show up, some of them don't, but they're always very interested in our, you know, our portfolio Slack channel and others like, what's the science say? You should be promote as a former military leader, you should be promoting things like this. You talked about setting culture. You can control this in a startup. That is your job. You run a people business. So if you, you, you mentioned managerial leadership and what was the other one you mentioned? Something just being a leader, I think. Yeah. Leadership versus management. I don't know how you think, but me, you set the example. I don't, you don't need to be some crazy fitness addict. I'm not talking about that, but like, when do you send emails? Do you wear a whoop strap? Buy your team a whoop strap. Or a ring? Do that. Um, hey, why don't we do a stand down day? We're crushing it. So everybody's off Friday. I'm turning all the emails off. I don't want to see a single email from anyone. Like stuff like this. Something that would seem crazy in a startup where you're always under assault. You never have enough time. You never have enough information. You never have enough resource. I need to manage my team. And it's not just the swag, the t-shirt, the hat. And I love swag. But it's like, it, it, it's more of like a, how can we bring that together? We're a venture-backed startup. We have a lot of bosses. We have a lot of masters. We have a lot of people with a lot of expectation. We have our spouses, maybe, if you're married. We have our dependents, if you have children, or if you're a caretaker. There's a lot of pressure on you. Let's focus on showing up every day in your best self. So we're really big believers. And I hope our industry, and again, I've seen a few articles. I think our industry should talk about it more because venture capitalists sit in the cheap seats. We're on the boards. If you're not on the board, but you're an investor, you're getting regular touches with these founders. We get the ability to seagull these guys and gals. And you'll see. Founders aren't good like thespians. Otherwise, they'd be in like movies, right? So you, they will generally show over time like they're wearing down. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're becoming more frustrated and they're struggling to make clear-minded decisions. I think we as investors got to try to, can we bring in a, uh, an executive coach? Like we have a bench of executive coaches that we can bring in and assign. Um, we're actually paying, which I know is crazy, but we at TFX are paying for a coach of one of our founders, right? Uh, because we think it's the right thing to do for our investors and they're really the right thing to do for that founder so that they can show up their best self, right? So I can go off on a big tangent. I've said a lot there, but uh, really big, strong believers that uh, we're uniquely positioned as former military leaders and as venture capitalists to um, be out front on this topic. I know you don't podcast much, but you're definitely a voice of fresh air. You know, we need more of this. Um, you know, I'm no. a business coach. I deal with founders at the pinnacle. And there's this whole other side. Like, I did a whole episode on the transition podcast called This Deployment Doesn't End. Right? Oh, yeah. It's been so you're like used to that six-month sprint. They come back. But you're on this. And guess what? People are going through divorces. They're going through breakup. Life is still happening. Our parents are in hospitals. You know, there's all kind of stuff going on. And oh, by the way, you still have this venture and you've got that board and you've got people breathing down your neck. You've got bad customers. You know what I mean? So all this has happened at the same time. So when people say, yo, the military is hard, right? But I think this entrepreneurial journey is harder. 
it's put into context in it. And until you've been in that hot seat, it's hard to experience. And the other aspect that you hinted at earlier in the interview, for us as transitioning veterans, we start that business. And what do we do? We tell everyone. We put it up on LinkedIn. It's our first one. It's the first one we've done, right? And now our identity is tied into this venture. And it's failing miserably. It's crashing and burning. Now, when you're junior in the game, in the game of entrepreneurship, like this is your first three years, you don't realize that sometimes this is the cost of doing business. You know, you got a retail operation during COVID, right? <laughs> retail stores close, revenues, you know, you're over leverage, cost of doing business, right? And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I have interviewed and that I've done my own research on, that one you see, that's a home run, that's like their seventh one. Right. They've been taking swings at the plate for a long time. And so, again, we don't know that. Then you tackle on the mental health and the community. Oh, by the way, maybe you took some of those dudes you served with in Afghanistan. They invested in your business. Right. Oh, yeah. So now that safe space for you. Right. You can always jump on the phone with them and chop it up. Now it's awkward. And how do you deal with that? And so there's all this stuff that's going on. And so that's why I was saying I appreciate your voice because you come at it real. and the mental health and all that other stuff, man, it can be freaking brutal. You know, I'm on with team members. Tears are crying. You know, people are dealing with all kinds of stuff. And you're right. For us, we have to lead. You know, we have to coach our own people. Right. And so how are we able to do that? Um, and it goes by making sure we're taking care of ourselves, making sure we're able to share that advice. So when they're dealing with that stuff, right, we're able to, to uh, pass the knowledge on. My team for the holidays, I got them all. Um, Spa days. Oh, right? Nice. Tears. Yeah. Tears, Brandon. They just couldn't believe it. Right? I know how hard this thing is. Y'all need to take a spa. You're good. You know, enjoy it. Um, yeah, we did that. I'll tell you this. We're capital raising, and this is the worst uh, capital raising market in a decade. And we've been at it for a while, uh, almost a year. Uh, awful, awful, uh, terrible, terrible environment right now. Um, I got to November and we're turning massive cycles. So you're basically following up with people who don't follow up back. You know, they don't talk back, right? They don't, people, if you're a fund manager on this call, you know what I'm talking about. I got to like early November, I'm traveling. I mean, you're really, really squeezing rocks. Now, the very thing I wanted to do over seven years was get to a point where, okay, we're small funds. We're not really relevant. Some VCs treat us like trash and because you're in venture capital, you, you, your power is uh, assimilated with how much money you have, right? So scrappy emerging managers, especially people focus on like people of color, immigrants, females, veterans, we're generally all small, if that makes sense, right? It's like, all right, we're going to now raise this institutional level of capital and go hire people. We have so many people want to come work for us that we have no money because we can barely pay ourselves, right? And so got to grind a terrible summer. We had a large financial institution really drag us out. And that was a very frustrating process just to pass. And then we got to like uh, early November. I didn't even realize it, but one of our venture partners, who's amazing, he's like, "Hey, man, um, what about us? Why don't we? Why don't we take some time?" I was like, "What do you mean? Like, we got the holidays coming up, right? I need a little bit of my own coaching." And he's like, "No, no, I think you, Brandon, very specifically, need some take a knee because I was just I was I was burnt, it's fried." And now again, very disciplined, you know, tracking my sleep, getting up every day, working out, all that stuff. Um, yeah, it was kind of funny. I was like, you know what? 
great. Instead of Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever Thanksgiving week is, I said, let's do a stand down day and let's all put our outer offices on. And I don't want to, and if one of my team members cheats and tries to do something, it's like, do not tell me. Cause that's your time to do whatever. Yeah. I went shooting one day. I hung out, you know, did something with my family another day. I did six hours of yard work one day just to change up the mental pacing. Could we really afford to take time off? I don't know. I don't know, but we need, I need, Brandon needed a couple of days um, professionally. And so, you know, that's what we did as a group. It's like a stand down. Then you just had a little sprint to the holidays and we'll break over the holidays and now you're back at it. But it, 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 I, I suffer from all the same things. I'm not talking from the cheap seat saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm the, I'm driving around in my Lamborghini cause I'm a venture capitalist and you know, doing that stuff. No, I'm a founder. I'm a founder first. And so again, I've not started a software company. I run a services business, but I don't know. I think my empathy barometer is very high. Um, I just haven't gotten it right. You know, I, I struggle sometimes. How do you help that founder from afar? Sometimes those founders don't want all your good ideas. They don't want your, <laughs> you know, constant follow-up stuff. So, you know, I'm no different than anyone else trying to get better every day. Well, I think your portfolio companies are lucky to have you. And I know something that you were excited about with this podcast was to be able to, you know, bring more attention to them. Are there any of those companies that you'd like to go ahead and shout out? Yeah. And, and uh, I don't like taking any personal accolades. I don't do that well. So just, we, we are a team. So we list our team. I'm, you know, Kevin, Matt, Brent, um, Liz, Dara, and, you know, our, our foundation board. I mean, and then all of our investors and advisors. Um, yeah. I mean, li listen, I'll call out a couple that are really quite special. First and foremost, I would say is Ty Smith, um, African-American SEAL down in San Diego. I would say across our portfolio, he is probably one of the most sophisticated machine learning platforms out there. Um, and uh, if you put uh, his system inside your company, it doesn't matter what type of company you have. Um, they will either live or look backwards, you know, in a non-live environment, monitor all your email and chat. And so when I say chat, that's your Teams and Slack. And they, again, they will not pick up on like curse, curse words or simple tech like that. They're looking for toxic communications and indications of self-harm through what's called sentiment analysis. So it's amazing. So um, yeah, it's been, again, on the self-harm bit, he and I, are, you know, he's had some SEAL teammates kill themselves. And I've had some other, uh, in my network, I've had some issues that, you know, I, I've dealt with. So we're both, he and I are both very passionate and saying, look, let's get left a bang and help people out, lift people up. And so uh, I think you have fiduciary responsibility as an employer. Yeah, you want to you remove all the bad leaders who you know, sexually harass and discriminate. And that sadly in 2023 still exists. Um, in email, people are really stupid. Humans are stupid. They put stuff in that, that type of format. But can we get to the next layer? Detect leaders who are doing the right thing. Can we uh, get left a bang on self-harm? So I think that's one. I think the second company that I would probably uh, would lift up their portfolio will be Ann Holder up in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, dual military family. Uh, she graduated uh, West Point uh, in 1989. Uh, three of her four children served. So they're definitely part of that family business. She went on to a large, you know, great commercial career and spent a large time at Medtronic, a big med devices company. She then was an entrepreneur in residence at Mayo Clinic. You know what Mayo is. And she, she is uh, in the process of uh, commercializing um, a fetal healthcare uh, device, but it's ultimately a software company um, that spun out of Mayo. And the short answer here with them, and you should look them up, they're called Marani Health, M-A-R-A-N-I. They're essentially making like a Lululemon grade uh, band that goes over a belly that has sensors that were used for astronauts. 
um, that can uh, real time detect the fetal and maternal heart rates. And so for those mothers on the call or family members where there's been issues around, you know, giving birth and C-sections and whatnot, even in 2023, we still use 1970s era technology to detect heart rates for pregnant mothers in a hospital setting, sitting there with hot, you know, don't move. So um, we're, again, we're software investors. Uh, we're, we're not doctors and physicians here at TFX, but you know, through Ann and um, others, we've learned a lot about this. Uh, this, this is, we've also learned why we gotta be careful not necessarily to do lots of medical device uh, that uh, investments that require FDA clearance. Uh, but from a software standpoint, um, it's been pretty, um, uh, it's pretty powerful and they're about to actually do their big submission. So purpose-driven team, some of the folks around her are phenomenal. But let, just so a last comment, you've been to Afghanistan. I, I personally have not. But the United States ranks in the bottom eight in the world next to Afghanistan in, um, in terms of poor fetal maternal health care as it relates to childbirth. And it really is because of rural communities, people of color in the southeast and other parts of the countries where there's not habitual primary care, no BGYN services. So what happens is, is that a, a woman becomes pregnant and then they go to the ER when they have a problem. There's no health history, there's no nothing. And so it leads to knee-jerk decisions on C-sections and others. And again, talking a little bit out of school, because again, I'm not an expert on all this, but I've, it is something, again, purpose-driven, no different than Ty, no different than the rest of her portfolio. And Anne's in her 50s. She could be making a lot more money doing something else. But she and Kathy choose to go try to solve this problem and correct this problem for why? To, to benefit these communities and mothers and our society. It's kind of ridiculous that we have this problem. Um, so yeah, they're venture back. And yes, there's some very technical hardware and software components to what they're doing. And yes, they're a startup and they've almost run out of money, I think like six times in two years or three years. So they've been to the, the brink multiple times, but they've been steadfast in their focus and their purpose. So I would say uh, ComSafe down in San Diego with Ty, former enlisted SEAL, 20-year SEAL, SEAL veteran. Um, I'd say Marani up in Minneapolis, um, Army veteran, officer type, and Holder. Those are two come top to mind, but we could talk about what Chris is doing at Movi and Zach's doing at Rumbix and Peter's doing at Zona and uh, what Randy did at Counterflow and you know what Mike's doing at Proctor Free. I mean, we know our companies as the people that run them and founded them. Um, and we get really fired up and, and it's easy to because these type of people don't go build an app for something random. These people that we back and attract, uh, you may not agree with them 100% on all their decisions, and you shouldn't, but they don't, they don't stop. They pick a problem and they try to correct it for the good, right? You have Steven at Crowds. I mean, they're just, I'm thinking through all of them. Our most recent ones, Rick at Tidal and uh, Rick as well, uh, Magenta. I um, mean, these, these folks are, again, why would you go down the entrepreneurial path that we just talked about? So challenging, so frankly awful at times. Right. It can't just you're not doing it. Most people we attract, you're not just doing it just because I want to make it. I want to go make a billion dollars and have four homes. They're infatuated with the problem because many times they felt the pain themselves and they feel a call to action to say, you know what? I and co-founder two and co-founder three, let's come together. Let's go solve this. Let's go do something big. Let's, let's go build a legacy. Let's go. Let's go correct this. Um, then they step onto the ball field to go go knock it out. Right. So. Speaking but those are two that I would, I would lift up. Speaking of big, I got two questions for you. Number okay. one, what's your BHAG? Both personal, that big, hairy, audacious goal for TFX Capital, 
and for you, Brandon Shelton. And additionally, what advice would you like to leave our listeners with as they continue chasing their own BHAG, trying to manifest these ventures? Yeah, I'll start with the professional one. Um, I think the BHAG for TFX is can we gain tier one recognition and relevancy within the venture capital industry? I think focus on two areas. One is our existing thesis and start really changing the narrative. We spend a lot of time with the National Venture Capital Association and other funds trying to teach them to just basically tr track veterans, full stop. Like just, just track them in your CRM, build a widget. I mean, a lot of them don't even track females and people of color and others. So, you know, I, that's one aspect that, that, that sort of advocacy, but just sort of saying like, wow, when we meet a founder that's been backed and supported by TFX, like a founding team, um, it's, it's a great asset. It's a great product. I really want to do deals with TFX. I really want to do that. That's on the veteran side. On the, non, on the other side is, you know, we're former military and former intelligence community in our team. And while, that, while dual use tech and national security is not our North Star, it is something we focus on right, with our founders. And again, by the founders we track, they, they work on problems like this in defense and cyber. I think you're seeing an awakening. And just this past weekend, there was an article about Sequoia. You know, there's an article last month about Tiger. I think the Chinese and other governments have, because of the thirst and demand for capital, I think they've exploited some of our capitalistic systems in private equity and venture. There's a great, you know, uh, FDD, which great think tank, McMaster and others uh, back, put out a great article in the fall that was quite controversial. And you're seeing more and more people talk about this, DOD, CFIUS Arm and others that, there are foreign actors, narco traffickers, oligarchs, nation state actors sitting in the investor ro Rolodexes of a lot of these funds for bad, for bad reasons. So I think we enjoy the freedoms of being venture capitalists and citizens in the United States. For us, we all served. I think that uh, we want more and more tech startups to do business with the DOD and the national security apparatus. As you know, and I know, it's not really configured yet to do that optimally. It's changing and it's changing quickly but it needed to change 15 years ago. So we're arguably playing catch up. I think TFX has a role to play. I don't know what that looks like. We talk about it internally because we are still a founder driven thesis, but we're being pulled into those rings and we want to be a good steward of it. I think um, that would be professionally in terms of TFX, that relevancy recognition of, the, um, of our founders uh, and our platform. I think for me personally, look, man, I just, what I realized about myself through this is uh, I, I didn't grow up with a bunch of money. Um, I was born in an 8,000 person town in rural Virginia. Money was always talked about and, you know, in pursuit of my family. Um, I'm doing my best as a father to not talk about it very much with my kids. And I don't want it to be the North Star in their, in their, their, their day to day. Um, my wife and I, we live within our means. That's why we went in the military to begin with. Um, but I, I want to get to a point personally where I, I am impacting as many people positively as possible. I just don't know what shape that takes. Is it through venture? Great. You know, we just stood up a foundation last year where we're trying to earmark some of our own personal profits to go back and just kind of like a grant kind of thing. Um, but I just think that, you know, I've accumulated a lot of domain expertise just in the last eight years of doing this and the 19 years since I've been off active duty and then, you know, six years on the military. I mean, I think I have a pretty good uh, resume to present. I just don't know. You know, here in the next 20 years, my last 20 years of probably commercial activity, I don't know what that looks like, but I just want to make sure I'm impacting people, you know, personally, professionally, whatever, where, 
by, by interacting with me, they're somehow better. Like, that's what I want. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to be paid for yet or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what all that looks like, but personally, I want to make sure that my head hits the pillow every single night that I, I give more than I take every single day, whether that and do that through others. So you have to be defined actively working on that with my coach, Mike, uh, and he'll be frustrated to hear that I didn't have a better answer. That's <laughs> great. To this podcast. That's great. But and what about advice for our entrepreneurs that are in the trenches currently? Yeah, man, listen, work the problem, work the problem. And it's okay to get frustrated. It's okay to have a day, bad day. I just had a really bad day the other day and my head got into this weird thought pattern and I was super negative all day, not present with my family, not present with myself. Guess what? This too shall pass. It's just the, the power of time is amazing. And I'm learning that the hard way. Um, I'm not saying more time is better, but just if you're in a moment where you're super frustrated with an employee, customer, investor situation, breathe. I'm a big breathing technique kind of guy, cold plunging and all that stuff. But whatever your thing is, breathe, take a walk, get some vitamin D, work with your co-founders, get yourself a coach if you need it. You know, whatever it is, build that ecosystem of support, get to tomorrow. Tomorrow can be very, very different, right? Just work the problem. Um, you are, you have, everything you need is within you. Everything you need, right? And the way you want to run your business is the right way, right? Um, so I just tell you, just just believe in yourself, but it doesn't mean like, hey, ignore everyone externally. It's We're still humans. We require social interaction. We require feedback. You know, pick up a phone and call one of your investors and say, hey, I, I need your advice on something. Be vulnerable. Hey, talk to your co-founder. Like, hey, man, I'm, I'm really stuck here. What do you think, right? I mean, constantly doing that. Make sure you just, I think overall, what I'm learning for myself and others is you're combating this feeling that you're isolated. Oh man, my investors don't believe in me. My co-founders are this. My, my family doesn't understand what I do. My, you know what I'm saying? You can very quickly, and I think that's, those are the, from my study, that's where the past starts to open up where you start to become a problem for yourself. Um, you're fighting that. Just know that everything you need is within you. Get to tomorrow and keep working through others. It's okay to have a bad day. Have some, give yourself some grace. Journal, whatever your other techniques are, do that. You can control that about yourself, uh, but manage your mental energy, right? So. Well, Brandon, we've got listeners tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've given us so much today. How can we support you and TFX Capital so you can reach that BHAG? Yeah, like, listen, when our founders are successful, we're successful. I would say look at our portfolio, two things. Number one, if you know someone who can help that company, um, you can either reach out to me uh, or through Mike or directly to those founders. That's number one. I think number two, if you are a potential customer or someone in your family could be a potential customer or advocate or something, just lift those guys, lift these guys and gals up, right? Um, we have 12, uh, 11 active companies or you know, 12 active companies right now. They're all in the fight, right? Um, so I think that's one of the things we, we find the challenge sometimes, Mike, is some people are like, oh, I don't understand tech investing. I don't understand tech because I, I do X, Y, Z. I work in a nonprofit. I work, I'm a teacher. Nope. These are humans. Humans doing human things. So think about who you go to church with, who's a, who, who are your classmate with, who's your neighbor. That's why we named our company the way we did. TFX stands for Task Force X. We are a task force. We are a collection of a team of teams. And so our job as the investors and advocates is to orient as many resources against that singular outcome of these founders. So you want to support TFX uh, in our mission? Support our founders. Love it. 
Well, I'll be sure to include a link to your website in the port in the show notes. Make sure y'all check out his portfolio. For all our listeners, make sure you also subscribe to our transition newsletter at the link in the show notes as well. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.